the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show this Monday, July 12th, as we head into our second hour. We always do so every Monday with the expertise, friendship, and smarts of Brandon Weikert. His book, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, couldn't be more relevant right now, given all the news uh, having to do with uh, Bezos and Branson at all, etc. He actually had an important column on that. We'll get to that. There's a lot going on in the world. Cuba, I want to talk to Brandon about Cuba, too. Yep. Brandon, welcome back. How are you, sir? I'm okay. How are you? I've been fine. I've been just fine. Thank you very much. You had a piece. Yep. Let's do – well, let me do Cuba first, then we'll move to space. Is that okay? Okay. Your sense, your sense on what's transpiring in Cuba, the State Department's tell with their thoughts yesterday that this was about COVID of all things. Right. Uh, does the left, right. after having lectured us for I don't know how many years about how great the uh, healthcare system is in Cuba, actually expect yeah. us to buy a Sunday tweet that this was about poor well, healthcare? Remember. Remember, this is the same the same left, and if I'm not mistaken, State Department in 06 that said, "Hey, Hezbollah's got a great healthcare That's plan. Right. Say what you will about it, you know." So this is not this is not that outside of the norm, uh, especially when Democrats are in power. Uh, that that you have our official organs saying this kind of garbage. So there have been food riots. I know, you know, I live in Florida, so I, I have a lot of connections with the Cuban population yeah. down here. Uh, there have been food riots going on in Cuba since 2018. There were toilet paper shortages in the inner parts, the, the little the little villages. Uh, there were uh, uh, state-induced toilet paper shortages and chicken shortages in the spring of 2018 in Cuba. This has been percolating uh, out since the 2018 period. Uh, in fact, part of the large migration wave that's coming up from Latin America, many of them are Cubans who fled illegally from Cuba uh, and landed in Trinidad and then found coyotes to take them up the Latin American route into the broken U.S.-Southwestern border. They're fleeing these shortages that are going on. The people in Cuba are at their wit's end. They rightly blame their government. Uh, because this stuff was going on before COVID. COVID just brought out, uh, you know, the worst aspects of these shortages that were going on. And in many cases, as I said, it was political. They, they were purposely uh, not giving these villages where they thought there would be revolution springing from. So they were depriving them of much-needed, uh, you know, daily life resources. And that was creating a backlash. And uh, this is all bubbled up now to a critical mass. And I don't know if the current regime in Cuba, without the Castros at the helm, has the same kind of punch that they used to have. We know that the Cuban Intelligence Service, DGI, is probably the best 
intelligence service in the Western Hemisphere in terms of their ability to, to crack down on Mo- Monitor, crack down, yeah. social score, that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it remains to be seen what DGI does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but aside from that, uh, Cuba, this has been percolating in Cuba for a few years now, and it's about darn time, and I think this could be the moment in which tropical socialism is no longer uh, very uh, liked, well liked over there. The, the problem, as you've seen, is our own elites in the United States can't seem to let go of this myth they've created of the greatness that is tropical socialism in Cuba. That is a great outline, Brandon. And just so the audience well, knows, you. yeah, no, well, I want the audience to know, you know, we just have the standing appointment. We never really review topics. We never have, I don't think. Once in a while, no. I may, uh, I may say, can I ask you about X? You've always said yes. I can ask you about anything, and you come out smartly with it when it comes to foreign well, relations. I it. Yeah, you bet, thank Brandon. You. Thank you. I thank you. Called the jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I was thinking about today, when it, well, before I get to that, Bill, remind me if I miss this point about when it comes to uh, Cuba. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to ask you about, particularly today, Brandon, given your expertise on countries like Iran, for example, it feels a little bit, with certain differences, a little bit like the revolution in 09 that started taking place, or the protests in 09, maybe, in Iran that were taking place. And at the time, the caricature of the right was we wanted to send in arms, we wanted to bomb Iran. No, we didn't. Uh, We wanted to give moral support, perhaps communications equipment, but certainly moral support to those immiserated uh, Iranian uh, Democrats. Didn't happen. We shut it down from America with the president saying we stand. That's wanted to do the deal. Right? Right? The nuclear deal. Right, right. And then we gave them money, uh, the mullahs, not the protesters. We have that kind of reputation over the last few years when it comes to the Cuban government prior to Trump. Trump stopped it. Biden said he wanted to restore it. We don't need to yeah. do anything militarily there, but God, it would be nice to give these people our support once and for all. It would. And well, actually, in terms of militarily, I would like to point out that the Cuban government has facilitated um, not just the attacks, the sonic attacks for 10 years on our diplomats and personnel in Cuba, uh, or I guess five to seven years now, uh, not ten years, but they've, they've facilitated either Russian and or Chinese uh, experimental sonic technology attacks directed against our embassy wow. in Havana. Wow. And the State Department personnel who have been stationed there have permanent brain damage, um, you know, from that attack. The, were, were these the, the mysterious illness things that we were learning yes. about? Yeah, okay. Yes, yeah. yes. And the Cuban government facilitated I don't know if they were directly doing it, but DGI certainly was aware of it, and they were looking the other way while either Russian and or Chinese elements were conducting these attacks. Uh, and so that is, to me, an act of war. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, secondly, uh, the, the Havana government, the regime there, has for decades supported um, anti-American activities mm-hmm. throughout Latin America before Venezuela was a real threat to the United States in Latin America. It was Cuba that was the big disseminator of ideological anti-American right. warfare. Right. In fact, from Cuba, you had the, the proliferation or the cross-pollinization of Cuban Castroism into Venezuela That's in right. the form of Hugo Chavez. And furthermore, it is Cuba that is the integral link 
between not only Russia and Venezuela and China and Venezuela, but also Iran and Venezuela. Oh, do that for us. That's great connecting of dots. Do that for us. Well, yes, it is Cuba that is the conduit for all of these things into Venezuela. And by the way, up until two weeks ago, uh, it was the Iranians who were trying to get two of their cargo ships into Venezuelan ports, and it is believed that they were carrying precision-guided munitions, which would have been used uh, to threaten the mainland United States from Venezuela as a means of keeping us from attacking Iran at any point over the next few years. And uh, it is all through Cuba uh, that all of this has become a reality, because they were the sort of integral player in the region for getting uh, Iranian, Russian, Chinese, and possibly even North Korean uh, Hezbollah, uh, you know, these, these groups, ISIS maybe even, into Latin America, where now they are a perfidious and persistent threat against the Americans. Brandon, you're familiar with the line of thinking, perhaps beginning with Lincoln, running all the way till now in the conservative, uh, in the, in conservative thought that says, you know, if America is going to have uh, problems. It's not going to come from the outside. It's going to come from the inside. We're the authors yeah. of our own of, of of our own success or demise. And it dawns on me. I was thinking of this with regard to Cuba. You know, Nixon as vice president met Castro and realized this man was a communist when he told him he wasn't going to have free elections. Right. Uh, that wasn't enough for the New York Times or the newspaper editors of America or Harvard, all who threw out red um, red carpets for Fidel Castro in 1959, right. made him very popular, and yeah. uh, and 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 cre- created the mythology around him and uh, Che Guevara, not deserved at all. Uh, Cuba is supported by the Soviet Union until it collapses. In rushes Hugo Chavez to help bail them out till Venezuela collapses. And who comes rushing in but the United States of America to help save the Fidel Castro and uh, Raul right. Castro government? Right. It's right. a lucky right. country, but it's a country that is communist because of American misfeasance. Yeah, no, I mean, if you look at it, um, it's very similar to the uh, downfall of the Shah. Can, can I hold you on that thought and come back on the other side? Yeah. It's a big one, I know, yeah, coming absolutely. up, because this is this is the folly of American foreign policy. Uh, the, the, kinds of, the kinds of dangers we have brought on ourselves by our own underestimation of the importance of ideology and our cleansing of something called Marxism which deserves not to be cleansed, but exposed. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon Weikert. We'll be right back and happy to take your calls, too, at 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. For all your air conditioning, and they are great at plumbing as well, I want you to check out Cool Touch Air Conditioning and plumbing. Most AC units in Phoenix um, work on or off to keep your temperature where you want it. And those continual surges needed to put it on, to turn it on, are huge drags on your power. So imagine a system as Cool Touch now has where it's as if you're putting a dimmer switch on your air conditioning unit that automatic, automatically 
allows you to use just the right percentage of air conditioning without the constant on and off. You get the most comfortable living environment and the biggest savings on your utility bill. Cool Touch right now is giving $2,000 back in rebates on this system. And whether you are looking for repair, installation, new, you name it, inspection, Cool Touch Air Conditioning is the company I use. I know them well. They're the company my friends and family uses. Give them a call at 623-734-1932 for superior service and excellent customer service. Actually, excellent service and excellent customer service. That's CoolTouchAC.com. CoolTouchAC.com. Delighted to have Brandon Weikert with us. He's the publisher of the Weikert Report as well as the author of the book, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Talking Cuba, Brandon, right before the break, we were kind of talking about American America's follies uh, in, in the cause of the problems we face with the rogue countries that we do face. You were just about to make a comparison, if I'm not mistaken, with Cuba and Iran. Well, yeah, if you think about it, Iran is the way it is. You can blame the West, and they certainly do, the, the ideologues over there. But if you look at the long history of Iran, Iran is the way it is because of Iran, mm-hmm. because of Iranian decisions that were made over the course of hundreds and hundreds of years, compounding upon one another, leading to an inexorable point. Now, we certainly came along and goosed that sort of along in terms of, you know, the Jimmy Carter administration was basically looking the other way and encouraging Khomeini and his people to take power. While the left was assuring us Khomeini was like Castro in 1959, a great new courageous leader, right, who had democratic tendencies and was not an extremist. Yes, and in fact, Khomeini, as I talk about in my next book, Khomeini may have been half British, but there's, there's there's a lot of budding scholarship out there that indicates that he may have been the son of a famed British uh, intelligence officer who had basically gone native in the 1930s and 40s in Iran and oh. then Persia. And so there's a whole other side to that. And um, you look at Cuba today, and Cuba was colonized by Spain and was a Spanish colony for hundreds of years, long before the West, long before the United States ever interacted with it. And whatever issues were at play in Cuba that led to its current predicament, you can't just lay it all at the feet of America and her corporation. Certainly, we played a role in making some of the political situation there what it is. But you also have to certainly blame the, the Spanish Empire, which held that land for a long time. And you also have to blame the Soviet Empire and communism in general, which had far more direct influence in the last 60, 70 years than any American uh, influence was there. And uh, you look at Castro, and he is a textbook example of, and his regime, of communist imperialism. Mm -hmm. And what it does to a society, and if it was such a great paradise, why are the people running in the streets demanding that they be fed? Why is it for 50 years we've had, by the thousands, Cubans taking their families on little rubber dinghies and trying to swim the 90-mile Florida Strait to get to South Beach, Florida. It isn't just because they want to have a nice vacation. Mm-hmm. It's because they're willing to risk everything to get away from the hell that is Cuban communism. And, that, and so what's going on now is not the result of American imperialism or whatever. It is the result of communism. 
And it is exactly how communism always ends. There is not a successful case of communism ending well. You People point to China. Let me tell you something. China is much more fascist than it is communist. And even then, it, 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 there's a lot to be desired. And so they're both horrible ideologies. So it's frankly, the, the, the idea that there's some mythical communist utopia, but we have living proof that it doesn't exist throughout history. Moreover, we now have living proof, proof 90 miles to our south, well, to my south, Florida. And it is a disaster there right now. Brandon, one of the things I always feel like it's important to point out when we get into conversations about America and Iran is dispelling this notion that is very popular in the ivory towers. And from what I understand from Iranian expats, at least the several I've known, and I've probably known probably a dozen fairly well, um, it's a, it's it's itself a myth, and that's the issue of 1953 and Mossadegh in the United States right. causing all the problems. As I like right. to point out, you hear almost no one from Iran talk about this. You ha- you hear everyone from right. Princeton and Harvard talk about this. This is right. this is not right. a problem for right. the Iranians. And you have to understand um, the Islamists were all behind the Americans That's and right. the British in ousting Mossadegh. That's right. Because they thought he was an apostate. That's right. They the communist movement right? was behind the United That's States. That's right. Khomeini himself, right. as a young man, was right. very much pro-the American intervention. Right. Um, the, the, the problem is, is that we forget about the reality on the ground, partly because it's closed off, Iran is, to Western scholars. And Western scholars are not very, let's face it, intellectually curious. They have a script. They have to follow, and that is the script of the left-wing, you know, narrative. And if they want to get their endowments, if they want to get their, you know, lucrative chairs, their cushy professor, you know, jobs at Princeton and Harvard and the like, they've got to toe the line. And so they're not going to step out of, out of line and, and say, hey, the context is, is you know, the, the, the truth is in the context, which is that Iran is the way it is, not because of Mossadegh, it, it's it, the overthrow. It's because of the Islamists taking advantage of a divide between Jimmy Carter and the the Shah of Iran. And that is a fact. If it had been Gerald Ford or Ronald Reagan in office when the 79 coup occurred, where the Iranian Islamists took over and ousted the Shah, that wouldn't have happened that way. Mm -hmm. We would have shut it down. One of the uh, interesting things about this point is how subtly it tries to make its way into uh, into our culture, even Hollywood, they they, they they did this movie. I don't know if you saw it, Argo, a couple years yeah. back, and they open with the Mossadegh thing, Mossadegh yeah. thing, as if as as if again America is the cause of these problems. No, America right. is the cause of problems. It's just the other side of it. It's the cause of yeah. supporting communism, not opposing it. Supporting Islamism, not opposing it from the left. And them being wrong all the time. It's, 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 time. It's, 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 it's just amazing to me how much they try to sanitize communism, how much they tried to sanitize it when it came to Fidel Castro. And well, it's, it's a scary weird, how many people believe it. That's right. That's the other point. So Bernie Sanders, i got to take a break. Bernie Sanders yeah. says b- b- bread lines are a good thing. <laughs> America goes through them for the first time. Last year, and right. Bernie Sanders today. What's his comment on Cuba? Tight-lipped. Nothing. Nothing really yep. to say. Neither does AOC or Rashida Tlaib, both of whom are members of the Democratic Socialists of America, both of whom still support that organization, which today, today 
said, we still support the revolution, capital R. There you go. There you go. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon Weicker. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have Brandon Weikert as our guest, author of the book Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, publisher of the Weikert Report, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, theweikertreport.com is how you access it. Before we get to space just quite yet, Brandon, um, can I get your thoughts on the Afghanistan withdrawal Let me quote Jonathan Rausch in my question to you. Is withdrawing at the present time in the present way the right thing to do? Hello? Yeah, hi. I'm sorry, you cut out. Oh, I am sorry. I was going to ask you about Afghanistan. Is Is withdrawing at the present time in the present way the right thing to do? I do think we need to draw down. I do think that Biden is generally correct about that. Where he's wrong is the way he's going about it. We're basically just pulling out and creating a power vacuum in which not only the greatest humanitarian disaster of the last eight years probably definitely is going to happen, but also you're going to have, as we noted last week, you're going to have India, Pakistan, China, and Russia, and Iran all vying for greater influence. People need to remember, Afghanistan to us may be a backwater, but for those countries in Eurasia, Europe and Asia, and the Middle East, Afghanistan has traditionally been the cockpit of competition. And so you're now going to see, I think, an increase in a lot of uh, different powers competing for influence. They're exacerbating the tension, exacerbating this, this budding civil war, And you're also, I think, going to see the return to power of the Taliban, and by definition, they're al-Qaeda allies. And, um, you know, so I think that we did need to to draw down. I think we did need to get out. But I think what we should have done is actually what Joe Biden wanted to do in 2009. He called it the CP+, Counterterrorism Plus Strategy, which basically said, we're going to pull out most of our forces, but we're going to leave a handful of special forces, CIA paramilitary teams, in those four operating bases with copious air support at their disposal to do hunter-killer missions where they go out, regardless of who's running Kabul, they go out and they hunt down al-Qaeda and any other terrorist group that may be still operating in Afghanistan. Um, But ultimately, it sounds like we're going to really significantly pare down even those elements. Um, Another idea I like was Steve Bannon and Eric Prince's idea of basically pulling regular U.S. forces out and handing over the entire country to Blackwater. Mm-hmm. Um, this was an idea that was floated by Eric Prince and Steve Bannon to former President Trump in 2018. It didn't go anywhere. It was very controversial. But I think either of those two options would have been better than what we're doing now, which is we're basically replicating Saigon at the end of Vietnam. And, uh, you know, maybe in 20 or 30 years, Afghanistan becomes like Vietnam, where now Vietnam wants to have American naval presence operating from their territory because of China. But we had to wait about 30 years for that to really start to happen. Um, But in the meanwhile, we took a great defeat there in Vietnam. And I think certainly Afghanistan, not Iraq. Uh, Iraq is another defeat, but I think that Afghanistan is probably our worst defeat since Vietnam. And it's, it's it's a darn tragedy. 
I can't see it any other way. Um, I, I, I really can't, Brandon. And it begs a few questions, which is obviously how we fight wars in the future, how we uh, defend America from rogue regimes or terrorist cells. But was our engagement with Pakistan somewhat responsible for this in the sense that the Taliban was able to stay in refuge in Pakistan and, and reorganize and train? Was our, was our policy towards Pakistan so half-assed that it created a certain defeat when we were to leave? Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's certainly part of the equation, um, although it's important to note that particularly after 9-11, those initial few years, we actually had decent cooperation with Pakistan. Uh, they certainly were playing their own game, but that should have been anticipated. I mean, Afghanistan for Pakistan was a part of a chessboard with India. And to them in Pakistan, Afghanistan was sort of a strategic depth, a place for them to extend their influence and kind of threaten India in another domain. Um, and so it should have been assumed from the beginning, after 9-11, that any kind of operations we're going to be doing in Afghanistan, A, we would need the Pakistanis, and B, that there would be limits to what the Pakistanis could and would do uh, in cooperation with us. Um, and certainly we could have held their feet to the fire on certain other issues, um, you know, far more than we did. But there are there were inherent limits to, to ever doing a deal with Pakistan, largely because massive population that is pretty much undereducated, and the only education they do have is from the madrasas, which are radical Islamic schools. And so the only book that they know how to read, if they know how to read at all, is the Quran, and they're given the most explicit, extreme interpretations of it, So, or you could say the most uh, literal uh, interpretations of it. So you have an entire population there that is brimming with Islamist fervor, that actually sympathized with the Taliban and al-Qaeda, gave support to al-Qaeda and the Taliban. And then you have a government there that they didn't necessarily like the Taliban and al-Qaeda, but they saw them as conduits to, to fight against India. And so we, we never really understood or accepted that paradigm. And that was a problem. But, uh, you know, the, the issue in Afghanistan really was this. What we needed to do was basically go into Afghanistan right after 9-11, as we did, special forces, CIA paramilitary teams, and a lot of air power, and pound the bejesus out of Taliban and al-Qaeda elements. And after we killed enough of them, basically piled their skulls for everyone to see and then bugged out by, by spring 2002. Because basically, regardless of whether we captured bin Laden at Tora Bora or not, I mean, of course we didn't, but even if we even even with that in mind, we have won that war pretty much by 2002 spring. Now. And yet that was precisely the moment that we started to surge regular yeah. U.S. forces and more contractors into the area. That was when we switched from being a punitive expedition to being like this new, you know, postmodern nation-building exercise, trying to turn Afghanistan into Arizona. That was never going to Never going to happen, and, so, and that was the fall. Yeah. yeah. Let me hit the break yeah. real quick, and let's do some private space travel when we come back. Yes? Yeah. I'm Seth Leibson. Yeah. He's Brandon Weikert. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have Brandon Weikert as our guest, publisher of the Weikert Report, author 
of winning space, how America remains a superpower. Rob, in surprise, has a question for Brandon. Rob, go right ahead. Well, thank you, Seth, and I hope you guys had a great weekend. First of all, uh, Brandon, I did get your book, Winning Space, but I have to wait oh, and you. read it until I'm after uh, finishing my uh, Divine Comedy by Dante that I'm taking along with uh, Hillsdale College. So, And that's a great book, too. But um, anyway, I got your book, uh, you magnificent SOB. <laughs> I, I read your book. No, I haven't read it yet. Anyway, um, a couple of things. I was going to talk about Cuba, but first, you know, you were bringing up some great stuff about Afghanistan and Pakistan. And, and my uh, thinking has a lot to do with, I think, Pakistan um, isn't the kind of, I don't know, ally that we and Dick Cheney way back a long time ago thought it was. And again, that's not just the Osama bin Laden part, but I think all of the stuff between Taliban, Al-Qaeda, I think they used Pakistan with Pakistan's tacit agreement, or at least not, uh, you know, fighting it, uh, to use as sort of a holding ground for whatever happens after uh, all the Americans leave and all the allies leave yeah. in Afghanistan. Um, I think that Pakistan really needs to be put under a microscope um, because I'm I'm a little bit I'm about as distrustful with Pakistan as I am about our current Washington regime. If that makes sense. Um, the other thing with with, with Cuba, I think um, again, being a former Foreign Service officer, I know that uh, uh, Obama, I guess, opened an embassy there in 2015. It used to be a, a U.S. interest section, kind of like. Uh, Taiwan, but um, they don't have an ambassador. We don't have an ambassador. We have a charge day affairs. Um, I'm familiar. Right. I'm familiar too with the uh, you know the sonic thing with the microwave and and the physical problems that came after that. Um, and I think I'm kind of spurred in a way from one of Seth's previous callers who talked about you know we we went over to Vietnam ten to fifteen thousand miles away. Why aren't we you know putting forces on the ground uh, ninety miles away? from our right. border. I, I'm not sure that that's the answer. On the other hand, right. I don't know after establishing a quote-unquote embassy there that anything has really changed or gotten better or that Cuba no. has done anything right. in our interest there right. since then. You're, you're right. And if anything, what we've seen is since 2016, a massive upsurge in Chinese investment in the Caribbean Basin, in the Latin in Latin America, we've seen Russian presence. There was actually an article I was just reading, uh, I think it was in Defense One, about how, or the Washington Post, one of the two, about how um, Venezuela is now going to allow its territory to be used as a base for Russian missiles. Uh, China's also heavily involved with, with Venezuela. And, and like I said, Cuba is the reason that Venezuela became the way it is. They were giving support and aid uh, to the Chavismo regime, even when it was in its coup phase. Uh, and so, so Cuba is a, is a big problem uh, for us in that region. And it's important to note that the, the Latin America in general, it's our back door, it's our backyard, and it has been shifting perilously to the left. It goes through these swings, but in the last few years, it's getting particularly dangerous. And now you're having uh, another article was, was came out in Real Clear World last week, uh, originally in the Miami Herald, in which it was outlining how Peru may be the next Venezuela. The left wing is taking over Peru. 
uh, very popular president there. And so, you know, you're looking at Nicaragua, Ecuador. Uh, you now have Bolsonaro, who is a right-wing, very strong guy, but he's under all these corruption things, and he's probably going to be ousted from power soon, the place by the left. Brazil has had a long history of left-wing. So we need to be careful of the fact that, A, if we go too hard militarily into that region, it'll just be another example of Los Gringos uh, being capitalist imperialist, and that could trigger a backlash to us. But, B... We have to also be cognizant that as this, the, 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 that region shifts to the left, that it's going to mean greater Chinese, Russian, Iranian uh, uh, involvement there. And that is a huge problem for us, huge problem, uh, because we now see both Iran and Russia attempting to use Venezuela as a weapons platform to threaten the United States. And Cuba is giving all sorts of aid and comfort to these different countries that are inimical to us, that want to play in our backyard the way they think we play in their backyard. Nicely done, Brandon. Thank you. Uh, as we're as we're uh, heading down on the clock here, though, I did want to ask you about your piece at National Review. NASA may not like the competition, but it's how we'll beat China. You want to say a word or two on that? Yeah, so basically what we know about China and Russia and how they're now together uh, in space, we know that the, the silver bullet for them is the fusion of private and public sector, that they, they're state capitalists, they're quasi-fascists, and that is how they're keeping a pace with the United States, not just in space, but in technology overall. Uh, the silver bullet for the United States is and always has been our private sector, that freewheeling, dynamic, competitive environment in which private you know, business leaders you know, gut each other at every turn, uh, all in the attempt to be dominant in their given industry. And if the government, our government, would simply step out of the way and deregulate the space sector, I believe in the next 10 years you will have SpaceX going to Mars, Richard, Richard Branson taking the ordinary civilian into space, going to Richard Bigelow's uh, soon-to-be-built uh, rotating space hotel in low-Earth orbit. You're going to have space mining. But all of this has to be done. It has to be led by the private sector. The government has to get out of the way. They provide some XPRIZE-like you know, investment from the public sector, but generally the regulatory bodies need to step back. But what the Biden administration is doing, and this is what um, uh, Bill Nelson, the head of NASA, said two weeks ago, he said, space under my watch is not going to become the Wild West for billionaires to just start launching their rockets into orbit. And while I understand the concern that you don't want to have rockets falling on people's homes, at the same time, I'm sitting there going, why not? Why isn't it the Wild West? Mm -hmm. It's exactly how we developed the Wild West. Is we had our wildcatting private sector go out, and the government basically get, you know, lowered the risk by building the railroads and whatnot out to the Wild West. But basically it was the, the private sector that went out and allowed us to colonize and capture the Wild West, create the United States we know today. Why not do the same thing in space, especially when China and Russia both, in their own way, are looking at space as the next Wild West, and they want to capture it. And they don't have the same qualms that the federal government seems to have. You don't see China regulating their space people. They're encouraging them. The majority of Chinese students want to be astronauts when they grow up. The same study found that a majority of American students want to be Justin Bieber. So that's a problem. And so, you know, the, the, we need to get back to encouraging and letting Branson and the billionaires, I know we have problems with them on Earth, but when it comes to space, that is how the Americans are going to leapfrog the Chinese and the Russians in space, is unleashing the private sector. And right now, it's the Jeff Bezos' Elon Musk 
Richard Branson's of the world who are going to do it. Nicely done, Brandon Weikert. We did it in time. God bless you, sir. Until next week, Godspeed. Absolutely. Thank you, Brandon. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Portions of Ritz are brought to you by my friends over at Trades Unlimited. For all your roofing needs, repairs, installations, inspections, you name it. Right now, they want you to know about their work on foam roofs, which help insulate from not only the heat, but noise, and most importantly, water leaks. I know these folks at Trades Unlimited. I've used them. I've been down to their warehouse and offices. They are great people with an A-plus rating at the BBB. The kind of company you'd want to have if you could own any company you could. It's that kind of small business. It's just a family operation that emphasizes great customer service and fantastic quality work. For all your roofing needs, give my friends at Trades Unlimited a call at 480-483-1775 or find them online at tradesunlimited.com. Dave Reboy, frequent guest here, has his sights set on a couple important big game. One of them are the never-Trump Republicans, and a few of them have to do with the commentators on Cuba, and some of them have to do with critical race theory. We're going to check in with David Reboy when we come back. Don't go away. We will be right back. 